All right, well, back when I was in high school, my parents, Ed and Donna, were the youth leaders, uh, and uh, which made for some interesting dynamics, but it just, it's just what it was. You know, I didn't think too much of it. They were, they were, they were great. They actually, it was good stuff. But I had a friend in youth group named Jason, uh, and he used to call my dad Mr. Ed. Uh, and he always said it as a joke, you know, not a disrespectful thing from the chuckles. I thankfully see that some of you actually get that reference. So <laughs> that's good. Uh, and what was funny about it was that it was, it was this punk kid, right? Who we, we all were <laughs> punk kids back then, but talking to an adult, right? A leader, no less, and joking with him about calling him Mr. Ed, talking horse, uh, and dad, he always took it in great spirits. He, it was not a thing for him. And, and after a while, it became less of like an event whenever he called my dad Mr. Ed. It just became what he called him. It was just, hey, Mr. Ed. Um, but sometimes in situations like that, you tend to think that the kid should have more respect, right? And be more formal around the adult supervision, right? But while Jason did see my dad as the youth leader, he also saw him as a friend. And so that kind of interaction made sense. Well, today, uh, we are in our series through the Sermon on the Mount and our series within a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and I'm so excited to dig in this a little bit more together. The Lord's Prayer, as we said last week, is the prayer template uh, that Jesus gives his followers when they ask him how they should pray. Now, if you'll if you've been paying attention, on our way through the Sermon on the Mount, when we got to this Lord's Prayer, the, the disciples didn't ask the Lord. They didn't ask Jesus, how do we pray? And then he responded with this. That happens in Luke. See, Luke actually has the Lord's Prayer as well, a version of the Lord's Prayer. And in that, the disciples ask him, hey, teach us how to pray. How should we pray? And he gives them this template. In Matthew, where we're looking through the Sermon on the Mount, it's just a part of his grander teaching, this broader sermon. So which was it? You know, is this an example of a contradiction in the Bible? Some would say yes. You know, it, it, was it a response to his a direct question from his disciples? Or was it a part of his broader teachings in a long sermon? Well, I don't think this is a case of a contradiction. Okay? Uh, I'm sure that Jesus taught this prayer pretty frequently, I would imagine. You know, in fact, his disciples might have asked him about it, and so he gave him this model, and then he used it in other teachings, knowing that others would have the same question, maybe. You know, who knows the exact reason? But I myself use some examples and illustrations and teachings in different contexts and conversations, right? A lot of you have heard me in sermons say, Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died, and rose again to give us hope. I don't just use that in sermons. That comes up in life groups. It comes up in one-on-one -on -one conversations. So it's entirely possible that both contexts happened uh, for this teaching. But back to the prayer here. Uh, the first line of this prayer talks to us about how we are to approach God in prayer. Uh, we said last week that how we approach someone is determined by how we view that person and our relationship with them. So my friend Jason's relationship with my dad uh, at youth group were determined by the two relationships that he had with him, right? The youth leader slash authority figure and the friend. And our interaction with God is shaped in a similar way. Last week, we talked about the first two words, our father, 
right? We start off with acknowledging his intimacy, his closeness, his with us nature. That kind of love and presence is perfect with God, and so we can engage with him in that way. We said that he is our perfect father for an imperfect world. This week, we're talking about the next few words. We're in Matthew chapter 6, still in verse 9, and it says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, In heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's get some context on this, and then we'll see how it kind of applies to us. So the phrase, in heaven, means a couple of things for us. First, uh, it lets us know the flip side of the Father thing. Right? As much as he is our Father, close with us, intimate, loving, caring. He is also full of majesty, powerful, able, just, perfect, holy, deserving of our worship and our obedience. It indicates his power, his transcendence, his sovereignty. But it also indicates to us the kind or quality of relationship that we have with him. And by kind and quality, I don't mean like good or bad quality of relationship. Uh, I'm talking about that it's, a, it's a, of a spiritual kind. It is a, there's a spiritual quality to this relationship. We won't walk down the beach physically and literally hand in hand with God. Right? I, I won't physically hug his person. It's a spiritual relationship. It doesn't mean that it's not real, it's just of a different kind, a different quality. Then we have the next few words, hallowed be your name. So first of all, when someone says in scripture something about someone's name, they're talking about the person themselves, right? The name kind of stands for that person. Um, it was really, and the name was really important, right? Because it stood for the person themselves. So to say, hallowed be your name, is saying, hallowed be you, be God. So then what does hallowed mean? <laughs> it, it's, it's not really a word that we use a lot. It's really something you're only going to hear in churches. <laughs> um, it can kind of mean holy, if maybe you're a little bit more familiar with, with that word. Uh, holy uh, it means separate or set apart, purified, perfected for a purpose kind of a thing. Uh, so God is holy. He is separate, perfect, set apart from all things profane. Right? And we can think of hallowing then as the process that we undertake to make something holy. Now, God's name, his person, his nature is already holy. It's already perfect. But when we hallow his name, we're setting God apart from other things in our lives. We, we set him in high esteem. We, we worship God. It's, it's putting God in the highest place in our lives. So when we are here saying, hallowed be your name, we're not saying we'll make your name holy. We're saying we're recognizing you as holy. We're acknowledging it. And so we're setting you above and beyond anything else in our lives. We are dedicating ourselves to you. So looking at this then, what do we have here? We have a God who is perfect 
and holy, who is worthy of all of our worship, all of our lives, all of our dedication. He's worthy of obedience. He's a God who, if we were to really see him, if we were to really see God, we would be immediately aware of our imperfections, our sinfulness. We would be immediately aware of his perfection. And we would be compelled to fall to our faces and worship him because there wouldn't be any other appropriate response. Now, some people have recoiled at this idea. A God who's holy and perfect, who we are required to worship and obey everything he says, sounds really selfish to me. What What a selfish and needy and arrogant God. Well, there are two responses I could give to this. The first is he doesn't need our worship so much as he is worthy of it. And when we see him, we recognize that. He doesn't need anything from us. He is complete and whole in himself. But the second thing I would point out is more of a question, I suppose. What kind of a God would he be if he wasn't worthy of obedience and worship? Right? I mean, he, he wouldn't be much of a God if he wasn't worthy of our lives, our devotion, our worship. He'd just be some other imperfect being. Powerful and strong, sure, but imperfect, like everything else. If we're going to believe in a God who isn't perfect, who isn't 24-7 deserving of our worship, obedience, and dedication, then we might as well be worshiping ourselves which is what a lot of people do. That hasn't seemed to help the world a whole lot. Some might say, well, worshiping God doesn't seem to be helping the world a whole lot either. Look at all the religious wars, the crusades and all that kind of stuff. Well, okay, but that actually kind of helps make our point for us. (laughs) Because... Those things happened when we made faith less about God and more about ourselves. Right? Those things happen when we make faith something that serves us and our interests. Those things happen when we make God something that advances our interests and priorities and preferences. But when we worship God for who he is, we can no longer fight for our own rights or what we might feel otherwise is owed to us. Because when we see God for who he really is, we see ourselves for who we really are. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-perfect. He's worthy of every bit of our worship and dedication. Who are we next to that? Nothing. Humility is the only appropriate response when we see God in his holiness. Now there's the tension there, right? We are humbled because of God's holiness, bigness, and power. But we are also loved infinitely and valued because of God's Father. It's what we talk about when we talk about having an appropriate fear of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me try to explain that. Have any of you ever seen Thor Ragnarok? 
or Infinity War MCU, okay? <laughs> I think I heard an amen out there. <laughs> Thor is the man in those movies, right? He, uh, he has embraced the fullness of being the god of thunder. And when he gets all worked up in battle, his, like, his eyes glow with electricity and lightning starts charging all around him. He flies through the air in slow motion and he slams into the ground with like this incredible force. The lightning shoots out and the ground explodes and destroys any bad guys who are anywhere near him. It is freaking cool. <laughs> Somehow he even generates like really cool music while he's doing this too. I don't know how he does that, but it's amazing. When I watch those moments, I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm just laughing, and I'm groaning. I'm just like, oh, man. Right? Because one, it's super cool. Two, there's this fear that comes when you see a being that powerful. Right? But I can smile through that fear because I know he's a good guy. Right? I know whose side he's on, but that doesn't make him any less terrifying. Right? Thor is imperfect. And he's not real. <laughs> but God, it's a, with God, it's a similar kind of thing. When you see him do battle against the forces of sin, when you see the way he took death on the cross and made a mockery of it, you sit there and you're just like, oh, man. Right? But you can smile a little bit because you know he's not just a good guy. He's the good guy. <laughs> His sovereignty, his power makes you squirm a little because you know that you can't control something so powerful that de not defies explanation. But because of his fatherness, you know that he is for you. You're frightened, yet you feel safe. You're humbled. Yet you're encouraged. You give him praise because he's totally worthy of it. That's what it means to fear God. It means that we recognize his power. We recognize the authority he has over us, over sin, over all of creation. It means that we shrink back in respect and fear of his power and his strength and yet it means also that we worship him and give him glory because he is good and there's no one else who deserves it. And as much as we fear, we also move forward with confidence and encouragement because this God, this powerful and majestic God loves us. This fear of God means that we, put our, we are put in our proper place. And we mentioned this before. Life can no longer be about us. How can it? When we've seen in our hearts a God so powerful that he can speak the world into existence. A God so powerful that he can die on a cross in our place, and then put death to shame by defying it and walking out of the grave alive. When we've seen that, to make life about ourselves would be stupid. Right? It would be the height of arrogance and pride. 
We also see our life and circumstances differently when we see God on high. Right? The cultural divides, the political polarization, the demagogues in power, relational conflicts. These are all real. They're in our faces. They loom large. But what are these things next to a God who laid the cornerstone of the earth? Right? Who set the limits of the oceans and said, here is where your proud waves halt. Who gives orders to the eagles, receives the submission of the ox, who takes the earth by the edges and shakes the wicked out of it. This is our God. So when we interact with God in prayer, it cannot be about our wants and desires. It has to be about his glory. Not that we can't come to him with desires and personal needs, right? He wants us to rely on him for those as well. We talked about that last week. It's just that the point of our relationship isn't our fulfillment. It's his glory. But when he gets the glory from us that is due him, we are the most fulfilled because that's how we were created to operate. God is worthy of fear. He is. But he is also worthy of worship because he's good. It's like the Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you might have had that ringing in your head if you've read those. <clears throat> when Aslan, the lion, is being described to the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, the four human children who stumble into the land of Narnia from our world, Aslan is the Jesus uh, character in the books. And when the kids find out that Aslan is a lion and that they're going to go meet him, they ask if he's safe. And the beings that they're with there in Narnia, they, they just reply, safe? Safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. <laughs> so good. God is worthy of fear and worthy of worship. This fear isn't debilitating or dehumanizing. It's the proper response to God. It's the, it's the difference between fear and being afraid. Right? We have a fear of God because of his power, his holiness, his perfection. And, and to respond to a being so huge with over-familiarity would be a scandal. But those of us who have put our trust and our lives in Jesus aren't afraid of him because we know he loves us and is for us. Satan, our adversary, who works constantly to derail our redemption to God, he has rights to be afraid. But we fear without being afraid. It's a response of awe. This is how this prayer is set up for us. This is how it starts. Listen, if all we ever prayed was our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and we meant and meditated on those words and the implications of them, it would change our lives and our world. Just that. So for you this morning, 
How do you approach God? And we can. Right? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus in our place, which we will celebrate in communion in just a moment, we are able, we have permission to approach this incredible God. But as you think about your approach to God, to the God of Scripture, how do you approach it? With awe and trembling? With intimacy and closeness? As the creator and sustainer of all of life? Or as the loving Father who wants to hold you as you cry? We need both. Which are you lacking in your life right now? Most of us, throughout our lives, different seasons of our lives, we move back and forth on this tension. But where do you need the power of a perfect and holy God? And where do you need the presence of a close and intimate Father? Let's go to him now and ask him to open our eyes and our hearts to his revelation in our lives and how we just might need to adjust our view of him. We're going to start in prayer by reading this prayer together. We'll be up on the screen. We'll read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power 